it is Mother's Day, and I'm not going to preach a Mother's Day sermon per se, but let me start with this, okay? What is the number one characteristic of a good mom? I think we could say a lot of things and have a lot of differences of opinion on that, but I think most of our answers would go under the broad heading of love, right? Good moms love and express love in amazing ways. They have an unconditional love and a capacity for love that goes beyond what is normal or even sometimes what is even logical. Let me give you an example. I have a wonderful mom. Some of you have met her, okay? She's a wonderful, she's a wonderful lady, a, just an amazing mom, as my wife is as well. But she's, she, she has rose-colored glasses on, okay? Let, let me give you a couple of examples. If you were to ask my mom, who is the best-looking guy alive? A lot of, you know, some of you ladies might say, oh, Channing Tatum and Zac Efron and Brad Pitt. My mom would say, no, my boy. If you were to say, who's the greatest preacher alive? Some of you might say, well, J.D. Greer, David Jeremiah, David Platt. My mom would say, all those guys are great, but my boy is the best preacher alive. Best singer alive. Andre Bocelli, Josh Groban, David Phelps, they would say none of, my mom would say none of those guys could hold a note next to my son, right? Now, I know a lot of you are saying, man, you should take her to the doctor so she might be blind and deaf. But that, that's just the way that moms are. Good moms are cheerleaders. Even my mother-in-law is that way. Even with me. She, you know, she wears rose-colored glasses. But moms love unconditionally. They're great cheerleaders. They are for us. They go to bat for us. They have a deep capacity to love. And so this morning, as we think about mom's love, I want to point you to an even better love today. As great as that is. And that is the perfect love of God. True love is found in God. He is love. True love is found only in God, and it is expressed in the followers of Him. And so we're going to sort of look at what is true love and sort of what does it look like really from start to finish practically for us. Okay, I'm not going to hit every aspect of love, but I want to talk about it from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. If you have one of our black Bibles in front of you, page 1023. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. We're going to read it in sections this morning as we walk through the text, but let me just give you a little bit of context. This is the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, probably the closest follower of our Lord Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John, and now he is writing the Epistle of John. He's writing to those who claim to be believers, and he's doing so for a couple different reasons. He's doing so to challenge them in their faith and also to assure them in their faith. He's saying, real believers, let me give you some assurances that you truly belong to the Lord. Those of you who say that you are believers but have no evidence, let me challenge you. Okay? And so there's a dual purpose, challenge and assurance. And it all centers around this, this concept of love. 
If you've truly experienced the love of God, be assured and confident in your salvation. Be assured of all that is to come, that you belong to the Lord. But if you say that you've experienced this love, and there's no love in your life, be challenged that there's a disconnect there. God is the God of love. He saved us because of his love. He makes us new because of his love. We show that we have been loved by God and changed by God as we love one another. And so this book, which is really summarized in our text today, really shows us true love from start to finish. So let me give you four challenge points, four action steps to put into practice in your life starting today. Okay, number one, experience the source of true love. This is the starting point for all of us. We must, if we are to truly love, then we have to experience the source of true love. That's verses 7 through 11. Let me read them from our passage today. Beloved, this is the Apostle John speaking to believers. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. There's that challenge. Why? Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Or, or, you know, that word means to be the one that satisfies the wrath of God for our sin. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's amazing the work that we put into loving. That we put into love and relationships, hoping that things will work out. And so many of us never realize that God is the source of all love. We go looking for love in all sorts of places except in the very source of love, which is God. We can have a capacity to love only because of God. He is love. It saddens me when I think of the number of people who try to build long relationships and loving homes and loving marriages and then and yet leave God out of the equation. We can't do that. In fact, we cannot love as God has designed us to love without being in relationship with the source of all love. Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. We cannot leave God out of the equation in building loving relationships in our life. John 15, 5. This is still the Apostle John. Uh, what does Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, does that mean that we can't do anything? That we will just be in bed the rest of our life? We can't do it? No. But we cannot do anything of eternal value. We cannot do anything pleasing in the sight of the Lord. We cannot show the attributes of God most fully apart 
from a relationship with Him. Why is that? Romans 3, verse 23. All of us have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. Because we are sinners, we cannot mirror the love of God without first having a restored relationship with God. We cannot love as God has until we have first experienced the love of God. How, did, how does God show His love to us? Well, He shows His love to us in a lot of ways. He showed His love to us originally in creating us. He didn't need us. He didn't need creation. He created us out of His good pleasure for the purpose of communing and loving His created beings. It's an act of grace. God's common grace. All of us can reflect God in some way, at some level, because all of us are made in the image of God. Now, in order to truly reflect God, in order to live a life holy and pleasing before Him, in order to even have any sort of restored relationship with God, we have to belong to Him. Only believers can truly reflect the image of God in us most fully. Only believers can live a life holy and pleasing before the Lord, though we still sin. Only believers have a restored relationship with God. But there is this thing called common grace where God extends a measure of His grace to everyone. Because all of us are image bearers. So all of us can do certain things that are good. But we can never do anything of eternal value. We can never do anything fully pleasing in the sight of the Lord. We can never love as God has first loved us if we don't belong to Him. How did God show His love to us in the, in the greatest way possible? Well, John says it here in verse 9. He sent His Son to die for us. God's greatest act of love, His greatest manifestation of love was in the sending of His Son, Jesus. His greatest love gift to us. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you have not experienced the greatest act of love on the behalf of God. You're missing out. And so therefore don't have the capacity to love as He loves. You don't have the Holy Spirit of God in your life as He reigns only in the hearts and minds of people that have been saved by Him. This passage here in John, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-11 through 11, really mirrors what John had to say in his gospel, most famous verse in all of Scripture. John 3.16, we can't hear this enough. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love compelled Him to send His Son. God's justice demanded that we had to die for our sins, but God's love overcame His wrath on our behalf. God placed His only begotten Son in our place to bear our sin and our burden. Why? Because He is love. Friends, God is the source of true love. You cannot experience it apart from a relationship with His greatest love gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. So through faith, first off, experience the source of love. That is the starting point. If you don't start there, you are building your house of love on sand. 
not on a firm foundation. You try to build your life of love apart from God, you are in a worthless endeavor because He is the source of love. You must be in relationship with Him. You can only love if you've first been loved in the greatest possible way. Number two, express the evidence of God's love experience. Basically, if you say that you've experienced the love of God, you have been saved by God, by grace, through faith in His Son, Jesus. God's love has been eternally placed on you. He's changed your heart, changed your mind, He's changed your life. If all of that is true, and you've truly experienced that, that means that you must express it. Someone once said, if there's no fruit, then there's no root. And that is true. How can we say that we've experienced the love of God, that we're in relationship with God, who's vi- who, who, whose very nature is love, that, w- that we are, as Scripture says, that all those who belong to God have the Spirit of God in us. Scripture says again, He's in us, changing our will making us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus. His greatest expression of love. Scripture says, every believer, this is what is happening to you. How can all of that be true and we not have an ounce of love in us and through us? John says, it can't be. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is Love. No one whom God has bestowed his greatest gift of love on, does he not also turn into a lover? As one writer says, love is a valid test of our fellowship and our sonship because God is love. Jesus says something very similar. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, okay, so what is the evidence, or how are people, guys, going to know who belongs to me and who doesn't? That's what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. The great theologian John Stott says this, every claim to love God is a delusion if it is not accompanied by unselfish and practical love for our brethren. John points out in our text, verse 12, that people cannot see God, right? No one has ever seen God because no one, or yeah, all right, no one's ever seen God, but because they can see us, And see how God's children loves one another. They see God's reflection in us. They see God in us. Believer, how will your friends, your family members, your neighbors see God? Through you. All of us need to be confronted with the reality. That how is God going to show his love to our community? How is God going to show his love to to your family members, who, by the way, we often love the least out of all the people that we love? 
We often express our love to them. It is amazing how kind and gracious I can be to all of you and then go home and fly off the handle in two seconds to the one that, that I claim to love more than anything in the world. And I'm sure a lot of you are like that as well, right? We often don't treat the ones we love the most like we love them at all. But anyways, that's just my side thing, my own challenge for myself to have an extra ounce of grace when I go home. But how's your family, your neighbors, your community going to see God's love? Let me tell you this. You are part of God's strategy in that. You are. Yes, he's going to cause the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. Yes, he's going to do all sorts of things. But his greatest strategy for reaching people is through his people. Are you truly a vessel for God's love to be expressed to others? Or are you a hindrance in people seeing God's love? Warren Wearsby, who actually, I think, passed away this week, the great Bible scholar, in his book on 1 John, tells a great story about a pastor by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan was an English pastor. Toward the end of his career, he came over to the United to the United States. One of the things I love about G. Campbell Morgan, he's one of the most careful expositors of God's word ever. He would say, I will never preach a, a book of the Bible, listen, that I have not yet read 50 times in one sitting. The guy studied all the time, but he still had time to have a ton of kids. He had a bunch of daughters. He had six sons. All, every single one of his sons went on to be a godly man and a great preacher in his own right. And one day, they were interviewing his family because people wanted to know the success of his family, and they were asked, who of the seven of you, of dad and the six boys, is the greatest preacher in the family? And every single one of them in unison said, our mother. Was she a preacher? No. Did she ever step in the pulpit? No. But they said she lived Jesus out in front of her husband, her family, and the world. Everyone that was around Mrs. Morgan saw the love of God written all over him. Yes, friends, no one has seen God, the Father. But on any given day, at any given second, you and I display him to a lost and dying world. We've all heard the cliché. That you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. That's true, but this is always true. All, uh, uh, this is also true. We may also be the only true demonstration of God's love that some people will ever see. So let me ask you this question. What are you demonstrating? What kind of demonstration of God's love have people seen in your life in this past week? Let that be a challenge to all of us that we must express the love of God that we've experienced. Then number three, experience the assurance of God's love. Verses 17 through 18, let me read those for us. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I've been challenging us with love. Let me also go to what John also does and give you some assurance. If you truly belong to the Lord, you've been loved by God. The best thing in the world about that is it is truly unconditional. You and I can stand in assurance of God's love if his love has changed you and is changing the way that you have lived. I recently heard about a young woman who was getting married but was somewhat insecure and fearful about making this huge commitment. On the day of her wedding day, one of her friends who lived in another state and could not attend wanted to send her this encouraging text because she knew her friend was fearful and and just sort of had a bunch of anxiety on that day. She wanted to congratulate her and encourage her. Knowing that her friend was somewhat insecure, she wanted to remind her with the assuring words of Scripture. And so she intended to send her 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Encouraging, you have nothing to fear because perfect love casts out all fear. But by accident, she forgot the one. And so she sent her John 4. The Gospel of John 4, verse 18, which says this. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. That was Jesus talking to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 18. Well, that obviously was not what the friend intended, okay? Didn't give her a lot of comfort on her wedding day, but... What John has to say to us in verses 17 and 18 should be a comfort to every one of our hearts and minds today. John says that Christians can have complete confidence and peace on that day of judgment. When when we die, after we die, and Jesus returns, or maybe he'll return during our lifetime, we just don't know, but we can stand in confidence before the judgment seat of Christ that we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Once he has placed his eternal love on our lives and chosen us in in Christ for salvation. That love does not wane. It cannot be stripped from us. Verse 18, fear has to do with punishment. We're afraid of dying. We're afraid of the end. We're afraid of things because we fear punishment. It shows that perhaps we just haven't fully understood the implications of the gospel. The gospel is this, that sin and judgment and condemnation have been removed from the people of God through the work of Jesus. At the moment of gra- that God's grace is placed on us, as we repent and express faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus has done for us is placed on us eternally. Everything that Christ has done, everything that he is, is credited to your account, and that never leaves. Friends, sometimes because of of sin in our lives and living lives that are not pleasing before the Lord, sometimes our assurance kind of goes up and down, right? How you feel about your salvation, how you feel in relationship with God can go up and down. But your security in Christ remains static. If you are in Christ, you can never be out of Christ. 
If you've been loved by God, you cannot be unloved by God. What, is, what does John say in the Gospel? Or, or uh, what does Paul uh, tell us? He says, nothing can separate us from His love. Not death, nor life, not heavenly angels, nor earthly rulers, neither the mistakes of our past, nor the pain of our future, not the heights of our peril, the depths of despair, nor anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you grasp that, as John says, fear vanishes. If I know that God is sovereign over all things, nothing happens outside of God's knowledge and, and outside of His parameter of sovereignty. Nothing happens that God is not in control of. Remember in the Old Testament, Satan wanted to go after Job. What did he have to do? He had to go to God first. He had to ask permission. God is sovereign over all things. And so if that is the case, if He's sovereign over all things, and He says that He loves you eternally and you have nothing to worry about as far as your eternal destiny, that it is going to be by His side forever and ever, that casts out fear in our lives. All of a sudden, physical death, yeah, it might be a little scary. It's not near as scary anymore. All of a sudden, the trials of life become purposeful. All of a sudden, the trials of life are just sort of the pretext for our glory with God. It's preparing us. Friends, if you're in Christ, you've been loved by God, you have nothing to fear about your present or your future. That great modern hymn in Christ Alone by the Getty says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Why? This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever do what? Can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand. Friend, you belong to Jesus. You've been transformed by His love. Make that your anthem. No matter what is happening around me or even in my life, here in the power of Christ and in the love of God, I know. I stand. True love, God's transforming love, drives out fear. And friends, if you, don't, if, if you haven't experienced that, you can experience that love through faith even today. And believer, don't despair. Let the love of God in you drive out fear. God, God's love is like mom's love on steroids. It is ironclad and truly unconditional. You are secure if you are in Christ. So walk in that security today. And then finally, real quick, number four. Extend the proper response to God's love. This really mirrors point number two. This is from John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. John kind of says the same thing again later in the text, so it must be important. And we're going to cover it twice, okay? What does it say? We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother, whom he has seen. He cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his 
brother. Very simply, John is saying this. We love because God first loved us. We can only have the capacity to love as God has loved us if we are, if we are in Him. And once we are in Him, we should not be able to help but pass that love on to others. I've already showed how the world sees God's love by looking at us, so it stands to reason that we must simply pass on the love of God to others. It seems like it should be a no-brainer, but for a lot of us, there is a disconnect between the love that we say we've experienced in God and the love that actually flows out of us. For a lot of us, we are going to fight a battle for the rest of our life, trying to make this look like this. That's the way it should be, friends. Start today in committing to expressing the love of God that you've experienced into what people actually experience from you. John says, if you don't do that, if you say you're in Christ, you don't love, I love this, you're a liar. He said that, not me. Okay? But he says, we're lying. Loving God and loving others, listen, is a package deal. It's a package deal. So the end of the matter is this. You can't have one without the other. And So let me ask you this. How's your response to God's love in your life today? Have you responded to God's love by grace through faith? And if you have, is it just sitting inside of you or is, is it actually being expressed in the world? Is it actually being expressed in your family? When your family looks at you, do they see God in you? When your neighbors see you, do they see God in you? Do, do they see the overflow of the Lord in your life? How about your coworkers? As I close today, if you don't get anything, get this. God's love must overflow in the, in the lives of his people. I particularly love how one Bible scholar said this. If we are willing to be channels through which God's love flows to others, there need be no limit to the fullness of this holy current. He goes on to say the vessel placed below the waterfall will be filled to overflowing. Are you basking in the love of God today? And is his love overflowing in your life? Even when people don't deserve it and are the hardest to love. Listen, nobody was harder to love for God than you and me. We were so deep in the depths of our despair. We had mocked him. We had turned against him. We had, we had placed ourselves in enmity with him. And yet God loved us. He loved us all the way to the cross with his own son, Jesus. Friends, you get that. You've been changed by that all of a sudden. Loving that neighbor that just, you know, loves to have his dog do his business on your front lawn. All of a sudden, isn't that hard? Are you overflowing? Friends, you can't do that on your own. Don't try to love others without having the love of God in you. That's a false proposition. You can't do it on your own. When we love anyone, especially those who are unlovable, it is not us, it is God in us. 
Is God's love overflowing in your life today? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word today. Lord, uh, I pray that it would really take root in our lives, that it would challenge us to know that if we are in you, we've been loved by you, that we are part of your strategy in showing your love to the world. How we live and how we love matters. And I pray that we'd be challenged in that today. Lord, as we take up your supper this morning, your table, I pray that we would do so with the holy reverence in our heart, being reminded of the shed blood and the broken body of your son Jesus because of your great love. Bless us now as we partake of your supper and, and give you our tithes and offerings. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.